scripture comes from Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. So this, uh, this winter, we're looking at the Psalms, and in particular, various types of Psalms, Psalms of lament and gratitude and praise and wisdom. We're discovering that um, the Psalms are teaching us how to pray, uh, not what we want to pray, but what God wants us to pray. The Psalms are designed to form us more and more to the image and likeness of Jesus. They enlarge our souls as we learn to pray, not just out of the the poverty of our own faith and experience, but out of the richness of these inspired prayers that Jesus himself prayed. Today we're looking at perhaps the most beloved psalm, Psalm 23, which is a psalm of trust. Psalms of trust are psalms that express a settled confidence in God's goodness and continuing care. And they are both similar to and different than lament psalms. Uh, Both of these kinds of psalms acknowledge that there are trials and troubles in our lives. And they both acknowledge God in the midst of those troubles. They're different in that lament psalms give most of their attention to the troubles. Whereas the psalms of trust give all of their attention to God. Now, here's an object lesson to, to illustrate this. Betsy Wassman shared this with us back at the beginning of the pandemic. Hold your thumb out in front of your face and focus on your thumb, okay? There's something behind your thumb, but, you know, you can see it, but you don't really see it, right? It's there, it's kind of fuzzy, but you're focused on your thumb, right? Now focus on something that's behind your thumb. God, you guys can do this. Come on, I know know you're New Englanders, but, like, use your bodies and engage, okay? Focus on something that's right behind your thumb. Maybe it's the back of the head of someone in front of you or a chair or something like that, right? Keep your thumb in front of you. Your thumb is still there, right? You can see it, but now, now your thumb is fuzzy because you're focused on something else, right? Now, imagine your thumb represents a trial, okay? Uh, something in your life that's giving you trouble. And the object behind your thumb is God, okay? You can, you can relax, A lament psalm, some of you are like, (gasps) a lament psalm is like looking at your thumb. Okay, you're focused on your trouble. Maybe once in a while you look up at God, but for the most part, your attention is on what's happening to you. It's, It's the thing that you're talking to God about, right? A psalm of trust is like looking at the object behind your thumb. You're focused on God, and yes, there are troubles that are right in front of you, but that's not your focus. They're real, but they're not as real as God. 
They don't steal your joy. They don't threaten your sense of security. Lament psalms are raw. There's anxiety and anger and confusion, and they're filled with complaints and petitions, and they arise out of experiences that are disorienting and painful and confusing, right? Psalms of trust are calm. They're settled. There are no complaints. There are no petitions. Any troubles that exist, exist only in the background. God is in the foreground. And these psalms express a firm trust in God and his faithful care. Now, I never want to oversimplify life. What I'm about to say is more of a tendency than a hard and fast rule. But I think, by and large, we tend to lament more during the first half of life. And we tend to express trust more during the second half of life. And that's not to say that you know, prayer or the life of faith is this, you know, linear progression. We're always moving up and to the right and to greater trust and confidence. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that at all. If you're 80 years old and you're lamenting right now, there's nothing wrong with that. Keep lamenting. Nothing wrong with that. But settled trust, that deep confidence in who God is, often develops as a result of walking with God through many dangers, toils, and snares, as the hymn says. Psalms of trust tend to be written by weather-beaten saints. Lives that have been landscaped by God's faithful love over many years, many seasons. Now, Psalm 23 is perhaps the most well-known piece of literature in the entire world. It's written by David, Israel's greatest king. Now, David was a mixed bag. He was both a hero and a tragic character both a paragon of faithfulness and a cautionary tale. Most scholars believe, and I agree, that David wrote Psalm 23 in his twilight years. After a lifetime of successes and failures, trials and triumphs. Early on in his life, David was a shepherd. He tended his father's sheep. Later on, he became Israel's king. In the ancient world, kings were often referred to as shepherds, shepherds of people. But David gets down toward the end of his life and realizes that the most fundamental thing about his identity is not that he's a shepherd, but that he's a sheep and that God is his shepherd. And so the psalm begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Now we tend to sentimentalize shepherds and shepherding, but shepherding is gritty business. No other domesticated animal on earth is as needy or dependent on human beings as sheep are. Comparing a human being to a sheep is not exactly a compliment. David is not claiming to be cute and cuddly. A sheep represents everything we don't want to be. Defenseless, dependent, helpless, wayward, A shepherd has to be vigilant, has to be protective, attentive, responsive to the sheep all the time. David is reflecting on his relationship with God. For David, God is not an idea. God is a person. A person that David has come to know as his provider, his protector, someone he depends on, puts his trust in. The Lord is my shepherd, he says. 
I lack nothing. This doesn't mean that God gives David everything he wants. It means that God gives him everything he needs. Every aspect of my life is under God's direction, protection, and control. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We live in a hectic, hurried world in which many of us find it nearly impossible to rest. Sometimes we would really like to rest, but we struggle. We tell ourselves, if I slow down, other people are going to zoom right past me, and then I'll never be able to catch up. The modern world tells us that we are what we do. We are what we achieve. And if that's true, then slowing down, that feels like a death. Who am I if I'm not accomplishing something? How do I justify my existence if I'm not making things happen? We want to rest, but we fear that rest is a luxury we can't afford. Sheep often don't know how or when to rest. A hungry sheep will not lie down. Even a well-fed sheep might resist lying down, especially if it perceives a threat nearby. In David's world, sheep often had to travel long distances to get to food or water. So before they could set out on a long journey in the desert, they needed to rest. A shepherd knows this. So he moves among the flock and uses his crook to force each animal to lie down. He makes them rest. God invites us to rest. He commands us to rest. Sometimes God makes us rest. There's a cancellation or a snow day. We succumb to sickness or injury. Your green pasture might be a hospital bed or a pair of crutches or an unplanned season between jobs. At one point, the apostle Peter was persecuted by King Herod and thrown into prison. The plan was to try Peter publicly as a warning to those who were talking about Jesus. Well, that night, wearied by the stresses of ministry and persecution, and bound by chains between two soldiers, Peter slept. Even a prison cell can be a green pasture. Has God ever made you rest? Has God ever forced you to lie down? God gives us more than just physical rest, of course. He gives us rest for our souls. What does that mean? Well, for starters, in Christ, we don't have to justify ourselves. We are justified by God's grace through faith. Nor do we have to make ourselves worthy of his love. God's love makes us worthy. Our lives are radically simplified when we realize that we only have one person to please and one master to serve. We don't have to move through life pleasing people, doing everyone's bidding, we are free to follow our good shepherd's voice. When you say yes to following Jesus, you are no longer a slave to other people's expectations for you. 
not even your own expectations for yourself. You are free to live before an audience of one. The only one who, if you find him, will fulfill you, and if you fail him, will forgive you. That's soul rest. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The Hebrew here says stilled waters. Sheep are afraid of moving water. If a shepherd leads his sheep beside a stream, they will not drink. They'll be afraid of drowning. So the shepherd gathers some rocks and dams up a a quiet place on the edge of a stream. He creates still water so that the sheep will drink. I wonder if your shepherd has ever done this for you. Have you ever met a circumstance that gripped you with fear? That made you think, this is more than I can handle. But God intervened. Maybe he brought you companions. People to help you shoulder the weight of the burden. Or to minister to your fears. I think of Moses who balked at God's command to go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And God said, I will go with you. And I will send your brother Aaron with you. And I will make sure that they listen to you. I think of when God called me to start a Bible study at my high school. And he gave me two classmates to lead it with me. Or when the pandemic hit and God gave me a network of pastors to journey and pray with. One of the most challenging things about being a shepherd is that sheep uh, often wander off. Especially at night, sheep are particularly vulnerable to predators wandering off the side of a cliff and getting stuck in thickets. At the end of the day, the shepherd returns the sheep to the sheepfold. He counts them. He calls each of them by name. And if one is missing, he will leave the rest within the fold and he will light a lantern and he will retrace his steps until he finds the missing sheep. According to Jesus, this is how we ought to picture our Father in heaven. When we wander away from him, he goes out into the night, searches for us until he finds us. If a sheep becomes a chronic wanderer, the shepherd may decide to break the sheep's legs and carry the sheep close to his heart. When its legs heal, the shepherd will set the animal down. More often than not, the sheep will remain close to the shepherd for the rest of its life. What looks at first like cruelty on the part of the shepherd is actually kindness, is actually mercy. When David was middle-aged, he was at home while Israel was at war. One evening, he got up onto his roof to walk around and he noticed a young woman bathing, and he desired her. Abusing his power, he sent for her and slept with her. Her name was Bathsheba. When she became pregnant, David tried to cover it up by ordering her husband to come home and sleep with her, but he refused out of his loyalty to his fellow soldiers. So David, in a panic, had him killed, then took Bathsheba home as his wife. Sometime later, Nathan, the prophet of God, came to David with a parable that pierced David's heart. David experienced sharp conviction and deep contrition. He wrote Psalm 51 out of that experience. That confrontation with God's prophet broke something in David. 
You could say he walked with a limp the rest of his life. That child Bathsheba carried died. Years later, several of David's sons would rebel against him. In the end, his family disintegrated and his kingdom was torn in two. God forgave David, but he did not prevent David from experiencing the consequences of his actions. Yet through it all, God never gave up on David. He pursued him and restored him again and again. God does not deal with us as our sins deserve because he is merciful. But God disciplines us because he loves us. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. We often wonder, what is God's will for my life? Where should I live? Where should I go to college? Should I take this job or that job? But the phrase right paths has less to do with where we go and more to do with who we are becoming. Right paths refer to a righteous life, a godly character. Every day we have to make all kinds of non-moral decisions. There's no chapter or verse telling us what to wear, what to eat, how to spend our free time. It seems as though God just trusts us to make most of these decisions on our own. God, like any good parent, is not interested in micromanaging his children, but he cares deeply about who we are becoming, what kind of character we're developing. The right paths that God guides us into include things like, in everything, give thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Love one another as I have loved you. These are the right paths in which we're meant to walk. He leads me implies not a road map, but a relationship. Not specific instructions, but a way of life that is anchored in God himself. That is shaped by faith, hope, and love. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Literally, the Hebrew says, even though I walk through the shadowiest of shadows, this is not happy valley. Don't imagine a great expanse of fertile fields and pristine rivers. Imagine a dark corridor between steep walls of jagged rocks, a place that the sun scarcely touches, a place of foreboding, and danger. Picture the Wadi Quelt in the Judean wilderness. You know, we're in the season of Lent, the 40 days that lead up to Easter. Lent is modeled after the 40 days that Jesus spent praying and fasting in the wilderness, in a place like this, right before his public ministry began. The Christian life does not only consist of green pastures. There are also dangerous valleys and treacherous ravines. But, as David prays, God is with us in the valley. 
He is with us in the shadowiest of shadows. And therefore, we do not fear. David spent his youth warding off lions and bears to protect his father's sheep. He spent a decade or more as a fugitive, fleeing from a murderous Saul and his army, seeking refuge among caves and in enemy territory. Toward the end of his life, David became consumed with his own security. His rivals, some of them his own flesh and blood, sought to supplant him, destroy him. David did not live a charmed life. He had scars, both visible and invisible. Christians do not get to avoid danger. Sometimes God sends us to hellish places. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, into the desert. But when God does send us to hellish places, we are not alone. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A shepherd's rod is a two-foot-long club with a rounded end, often embedded with shards of metal and stone, and it's used to fight off enemies that threaten the sheep. The staff is that long, curved uh, stick, and it's used to restrain sheep from wandering off, to hook their legs, to pull them out of holes when they get stuck or to pull back branches when a sheep is caught in a thicket. Sometimes it's used to beat back tall grass and to drive out serpents that might be in the way. The rod and the staff are the shepherd's power, and the sheep take comfort in the shepherd's power. The Hebrew word for comfort literally means with strength. Biblically speaking, to comfort someone means more than offering a shoulder to cry on. To comfort someone is to offer them your strength, your protection. Now, many people today are suspicious of God's power, especially in light of the many abuses of power that we see. But God is as tender as he is powerful. He is, he is as merciful as he is mighty. He never uses his power outside of his love. Enemies may fear God's rod, but the sheep are comforted by it. Sometimes parents feel helpless. When I was two years old, I had terrible asthma at a time when we really didn't know very much about asthma, and we had pretty terrible remedies for asthma. My parents felt helpless as they rushed me to the hospital while my lips were blue from oxygen deprivation. What sustained them was the knowledge that they had a shepherd who not only loved their son more than they did, but who had power that they didn't have. The sheep are comforted by the strength of their shepherd. Often when we suffer, we want to know why. And God rarely tells us why. It could be because we couldn't understand it if he did. It could be because God knows that when we're hurting, we don't need answers. We need presence. We need comfort. When a child gets hurt, they don't go to their parents and ask, why does this hurt? 
They go to their parents for comfort and strength. Are you here for me? Do you see that I'm hurting? Can you do anything about this? Whether or not we know why trials come, God is there for us. He understands our pain. He knows what it's like to suffer. We may not know why God allows certain things to happen to us, but we know that it's not because he doesn't care. After all, Jesus himself suffered. God takes his own medicine. We can endure danger without fear because our shepherd is always with us and because our shepherd is strong. What threatening shadows lie across your path today? What dangers are you facing? Your shepherd knows all about them. If you trust him, he will give you courage to navigate them. The darkest valley we will ever have to cross is death, and looming death can make the shepherd's presence very real. Jesus, our great shepherd, has traversed the valley of death, and he's come out the other side. He has blazed a trail for us through death. He has defeated death and taken away its sting. Since our shepherd has been through the valley of the shadow of the death for us on the cross, we can be confident that he will walk through our own valleys with us in this life. There are over 600 references to sheep, shepherds, and flocks in the Bible. It's almost as if God is saying, if you want to learn something about what it means to be a Christian, look at a sheep. And if you want to learn something about me, look at shepherds. God seems to be saying that. In verse 5, the scene shifts. God morphs from a shepherd into a host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In this verse, God is portrayed as a sheik who pitches his tent in the wilderness. We move from a rough and ready sheepfold to a festive banquet underneath a tent. It's an image of provision, refreshment, and excessive abundance. Green grass is good, but a banquet's even better. Cool water is refreshing, but being anointed with oil is the highest experience of a wealthy host's generosity and care. Oil in the ancient world was a symbol of vitality, renewal, healing, Joy, just what a weary and wounded traveler would need. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a banquet. In Revelation, John compares the coming kingdom to a wedding feast. More images of abundance and peace and provision. The point is, God is preparing a place for you. He wants to refresh you, to restore you, to satisfy you with good things. A green pasture is good, but a sheik's tent is even better. And still, being a guest is temporary. What we need is the security and rest of a permanent home. That's where verse 6 comes in. Verse 6, the scene shifts one last time. Surely your goodness 
and love will follow me all the days of my life. And the Hebrew actually says that God's goodness and love are chasing after us. The song we sang is accurate. His goodness is running after us. It's running after us. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Finally, we're home. No longer wanderers, no longer in exile, but home. A home not of brick or stone, but God himself is our home. We find our refuge under the shadow of his wing. Our home isn't pie in the sky when you die by and by. We make God our home now. Prayer is relaxing into God's goodness, leaning on his everlasting arms, resting in who he is, stilled by his presence, comforted by his strength, pursued by his goodness. Psalm 23 is both a map and an invitation. It's a map in that it shows us where our faith and where our lives are going. In the early days of following Jesus, do you remember them? You were filled with wonder and love and praise. You just couldn't get over how much God loved you. That he pursued you and forgave you and called you his child. You felt liberated. You were liberated. God was giving you your life back. All of a sudden, you were, you were being renewed from the inside by the Holy Spirit. It was euphoric. And then eventually sorrows found you again. You learned to lament. You learned to cry out to God from the pit. You may have even experienced the dark night of the soul or two. You hit a wall. All those positive feelings you had at first went missing. A hole opened up in your chest. Your world turned dark. God became silent. The foundations of your faith were shaken. There were times you cried out to God and, and he answered you. It was remarkable. Your joy was renewed. Your confidence in him was restored. And you just had to tell others your story. And then perhaps there was another wall. Another dark night. I'm not saying any of this is linear. Or that this is how it works for everybody. I think most of us cycle between seasons of joy and seasons of sorrow. Times when God feels right nearby and times when he feels far away. Praising God is good even when it's naive. Lamenting is good even when it's mixed with anxiety and fear. Psalm 23 is a picture of weather-beaten faith. Not chirpy optimism, not panicked pessimism, but settled realism. The world is a dangerous place. Life is unpredictable. And just because we're following Jesus, that doesn't mean that we're always going to move from strength to strength. There are ups and downs, moments of euphoria and days when we're tempted to despair. But over time, we often develop a growing awareness that God is constant. He's always there on the sunny days and on the stormy days. 
whether we feel them or not. Looking back on our lives, so much of the intimacy that we share with God and others, so much of our growth into holiness came through suffering, came as we navigated the shadowiest of shadows. God has been our shepherd through it all. His goodness and mercy never left our sides. He never stopped pursuing us, securing us. Psalm 23 may not be where we began, but by God's grace, it's where we end. Does that give you hope? Some of you are there. You're not perfect. But you've come to know through experience that God can be relied upon. Your highs maybe aren't as high as they used to be. Your lows probably aren't as low. You've kind of settled into a lower gear. You're not running out ahead of God anymore, nor does God have to drag you kicking and screaming out of thickets or force you to lie down. You're keeping in step with Him. You're resting in Him. You're relaxing into His goodness more and more. Some of you can't imagine ever getting to that point. There's so much noise in your life, so much frantic activity. You're always on the run. That Billy Joel song, Vienna, was written for you. Slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile. But then if you're so smart, tell me, why are you still so afraid? Where's the fire? What's the hurry about? You better cool it off before you burn it out. You got so much to do and only so little time in a day. Instead of relaxing, you go a million miles an hour until eventually you crash and collapse into God's arms. Then you dust yourself off and start all over again. Or maybe you you want to trust God, but... Somebody shattered your trust early on in your life. And now no matter who Jesus is or what he's done for you, it just seems like trusting him is going to be an uphill climb. If that's you, friend, I want you to know that God understands completely. And he is so patient. He is so good and so committed to the long game. He will never give up on you. He will win your heart. Psalm 23 is a map that shows us where our faith is going. It testifies to the possibility of a life of quiet confidence and trust in which God grows to loom larger than our circumstances, no matter what they are. Sometimes even now, when you're still, You can feel him settling you down, inviting you to relax and trust in his strength. Psalm 23 is also an invitation. Christianity is a relationship with the most wonderful person in the world. Jesus wants to be your shepherd. He wants to provide for you and protect you comfort you and keep you, lead you and sustain you. He wants to be your host 
He knows that you're weary and wounded, and he stands ready to refresh you and restore your soul. He wants to be your permanent home, where you experience what it means to be truly welcomed, truly loved, truly safe. Jesus is everything you long for. He is everything you need. Do you know him? I know you know about him. Do you know him? Has it become personal? Do you want to know him? If so, would you pray with me? And let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Gracious God, it is hard to trust sometimes. Would you show us that you're trustworthy? Would you help us to trust you? I need to rest. I need to relax. I'm weary from trying to save myself, trying to prove myself, trying to justify myself, trying to secure myself. I know deep down that I can't. I know deep down that I need to be forgiven, that I need to be healed that I need a fresh start. I know I need guidance. I need leadership. Come into my life. Be my shepherd. I trust you. And sometimes I doubt. Help me to trust you more and more over time. In Jesus' name, amen.